if you're compromised already by a previous heart attack, congestive heart failure, it's a very important time to try and uptick your health. And the quickest thing you can do is convert your diet rapidly to a whole food plant diet of brightly colored fruits and vegetables, whole grains and legumes. I mean, it's not just a pitch, but it's the honest truth. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks so much for giving the show a listen this week, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. Today, we are going to be looking at ways that we can protect the heart, not just from the coronavirus but from elevated lipoprotein little a as well. LP little a is what my guest calls it. He also calls it the heart's quiet killer. Dr. Joel Kahn will be on the show to impart some wisdom with us in just a moment. But before we get there, let's talk about why this is important. Why we're going to be talking about this today with Dr. Kahn. It's because the number of COVID-19 cases globally continues to climb. And here in the U.S., although things are beginning to reopen, we still have far more cases than any other country in the world. But no matter where you are, if you have an underlying condition, the thought of becoming infected with the coronavirus can be especially worrisome because the risk of becoming critically ill jumps significantly. And that includes people with a heart condition. So Dr. Khan will be looking at the link between cardiovascular health and the coronavirus. And we'll be talking about ways that you can get your heart pumping healthfully again. And not just during this outbreak either, but for the rest of your life. And then we'll be turning our attention to lipoprotein little a, this little substance that carries cholesterol and fat in your blood. This was once largely ignored, but now research is showing that it can be one of the most effective biomarkers for determining a person's cardiovascular health. And also on tap today, the inspirational story of a former firefighter, Cindy Thompson. She lost 60 pounds after turning to a plant-based diet. And not only did she change, but she also changed her entire firehouse right along with her. And today, instead of putting out fires in the field, she's extinguishing our risk of developing heart disease and cancer and diabetes, all of those comorbidities that are fueling COVID-19. So Cindy is here to share her story and help us launch the new Cooking to Combat COVID-19 campaign. And this is a campaign designed to tackle all of those health issues that are fueling this pandemic. So Cindy, she has the wisdom and the inspiration to guide us through. But first, we start with Dr. Joel Kahn. The heart, the coronavirus, and lipoprotein little a it's 
As we continue here on this special edition of the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll, I'm really honored now to be joined by the author of the book, Lipoprotein, The Heart's Quiet Killer. It's a diet and lifestyle guide. You know the name, you know the face. He is Dr. Joel Kahn. Welcome to the show. Well, honored to be back, and uh, thank you for all you're doing. Such great information coming out of the exam room. I greatly appreciate it, and congratulations on the uh, release of the new book. How are things going? Real good. I mean, the world has changed. I'm a heart doctor with a tremendous passion to speak about prevention, halting, and reversing heart disease with every tool possible. A lot of us are currently focusing on other health risks, but uh, there is an overlap between the current uh, pandemic and heart disease that we may chat about, but I'm still busy doing virtual consults on people with heart issues because, you know, it, those didn't go away and people are concerned. So yes, uh, we're trying to tackle many different fronts, but, uh, the war on heart disease still remains a war. I have no doubt about that. Uh, I would imagine, actually, now that you're doing telemedicine, I mean, are you seeing even an uptick in patients or people becoming even more concerned with their health given the circumstances that we're all facing right now? Well, a lot of my established patients have scheduled uh, overdue or on-time consults by phone, by Skype, by Zoom, whatever it is, because of stress. Yeah, you know, Doc, I just want to review with you my program because I'm not sleeping well and I'm managing companies around the world that are imploding and, you know, the, whatever the, their CFOs, CEOs, accountants, whatever they are. There is clearly uh, an impact. And just having your family move back in the house while you're trying to, you know, <laughs> work from a distance for many people, it's a whole new component and it hasn't decreased their stress. On the upside, I've heard a lot of people that I've dealt with I mean, I'm eating better. I mean, I actually have fresh lettuce that I have in the refrigerator. And it used to be I'd be driving by, you know, Qdoba would be my lunch. And now I'm having a giant salad. So, uh, you know, I used to run by the gym in my basement. But now I'm home and there's the gym in my basement. So there may be, you know, a little um, strange irony of families eating around a table of home-cooked food and conversation, as well as hopefully a focus on really uh, accentuating your health at a time you probably want to approach the next month or two with your most optimal health status. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I definitely, I want to get into the book here because I think that this is fascinating to me, but um, I, because of the circumstances, and we're just kind of talking about that right now, I think somebody told me that if uh, you have heart disease, cardiovascular disease, uh, that might be the most significant risk factor for uh, COVID mortality. Is that accurate? Well, there, it has been reported that, you know, the chronic diseases, heart disease, heart failure, diabetes, type 2, um, Alzheimer's and all. Of course, they're not exclusively, but they're largely diseases of age also. Um, and uh, this has not been exclusively a infection that only afflicts people um, in their 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. And now that I'm in my 60s, I have a tough time even including that in the older group, but I have to be authentic with the data out there because we are. We lost a police officer in Detroit this week, 38 years old from uh, the COVID infection. I mean, tragic. And there are many others that are in their 30s and 40s that are being infected and even at risk of dying. But yes, there's no doubt if you're compromised already by a previous heart attack, congestive heart failure, um, high blood pressure, not well controlled, diabetes, not well controlled, uh, it's in a very important time to try and uptick your health. And the quickest thing you can do is convert your diet rapidly 
to a whole food plant diet of brightly colored fruits and vegetables, whole grains and legumes. I mean, that it's not just a pitch, but it's the honest truth. That's the one thing you could start today to make a difference, whatever your cardiac status you're coming in from. There has been that concern that there is a class of blood pressure and heart drugs called ACE inhibitors and ARBs that may interact and increase a receptor that this damn virus likes to lock into and enter cells in the airways and maybe in the GI tract. More and more we're focusing that this virus may affect our GI tract. But it is the recommendation of the American College of Cardiology, the American Heart Association, the European Society of Cardiology. If you're a patient taking a blood pressure medicine, a heart medicine that's called an ACE inhibitor like lisinopril or a ARB like Losartan, don't stop them. We have we have an absence of data that says you're really at risk for continuing your medication, whereas you could precipitate a spike in blood pressure or congestive heart failure by stopping your medicine. Work with your existing team. I'm not switching my clinic patients off of these drugs. It's actually very difficult to try and find comparable drugs that aren't in these classes because they're so well tolerated and so ubiquitous. Let me ask you this. Obviously, we still don't know a whole heck of a lot about COVID-19. I mean, this thing is still brand new in the scheme of things. But generally speaking, what is it about somebody who has cardiovascular disease, heart disease, that makes them more susceptible to viruses like this? It's not clear that they're more susceptible, but it's reserve. I mean, if your lungs get attacked by an immune and an inflammation and then often secondary infection, I mean, where you might end up with a streptococcal pneumonia on top of a viral pneumonia. If you reserve, if your uh, lungs have been damaged by prior smoking or asbestos, if your blood vessels are aged and are of poor shape, if your heart has been damaged, I mean, it's that backup reserve. Young studs like you and me, <laughs> presumably, uh, you know, with organs that are, you know, healthier, uh, we just have more ability to deal with stress. But, um, you know, and, and then in a way that we don't quantify well, we really don't have a great way to measure your immune system health. We can measure your white blood count. We can measure inflammatory markers. I mean, can we really boost our immune system with optimal health and diet? I think we can, but it's hard to measure it. So it's hard to really quantify and counsel people on it. If your vitamin D levels optimal, have you boosted your immune health? Well, a lot of people think that's the case versus being severely deficient in vitamin D. Uh, before we move on to the book, final thing, if one of your patients has heart disease, what is your recommendation for them right now to stay healthy? You know, really, you know, if either elderly, my 87-year-old mother, or they have heart disease, I mean, really isolate, really social distance, really wash, um, you know, consider who's in your house and maybe nobody should be in your house, including possibly visits from grandkids and relatives. I mean, the best thing you can do is stay away from the public. And that's very hard and very stressful and very isolating. Um, and if you can design it, that's the best thing you can do. And just hunker down here for two, three, four weeks and get online and use FaceTime and use you know, Skype and Zoom or whatever you need. That's, I think, has really been interesting is that proliferation of using technology to bring people back together digitally, whether mm -hmm. it's religious gatherings or educational classes. Uh, so you can spend the whole day watching operas and, you know, <laughs> symphonies and uh, it's good. And that's what people need to do, uh, maybe while slowly walking a treadmill because you don't want to be 
too sedentary for sure. Isn't it funny how on so many days we just kind of wish that we could be alone and the whole world would just disappear. And then here we are in a situation where that's actually being encouraged and we find it so difficult to actually do. I know. This is like an introvert's dream. I hear that from, uh, again, a number of my patients. This is like the best thing that ever. I just got to stay home, be quiet, and don't talk to anybody. Uh, <laughs> but we do know how important social support is, social connection, you know, uh, having community. Plus, we want to be sure somebody's checking on you if you're older or have advanced heart disease and at least makes a phone call and, you know, for show love and support and just concern that you've got you know, a, a banana and a tomato and a head of lettuce in the refrigerator. <laughs> the staples, right? Um, <laughs> uh, let's talk about this book. I'm really interested about it because when I told a friend of mine that you were coming on and I mentioned the book to him, he said, hey, you know what? Uh, he had a heart attack back in 2002. He said that when his blood work came back, it was 10 times higher than what, <laughs> what it was supposed to be. So what is the connection between lipoprotein? Why do you call this the heart's quiet killer? So it turns out, I mean, Anytime there's different names for a molecule in the blood, it means we don't fully understand it. So some people call this LP little a. It's a kind of cholesterol. Some people call it lipoprotein little a because it's always a lowercase a. And some people call it the sticky cholesterol. But it is a molecule that was discovered in 1963. Uh, most everybody has heard of LDL cholesterol, the low-density lipoprotein cholesterol. So lipoprotein A is this molecule in your blood. Not everybody's. 25% of people inherit a gene from their mom and dad that allows their body to make this cholesterol. 75% of people don't inherit a gene. But that's still 1.8 billion people in the world. Or that's you know, 75, 80 million Americans, 90 million Americans. It's a lot of people. In fact, it's the most frequent inherited genetic cholesterol disorder in the world by far, 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 yet we've almost never heard anything about it. But in this molecule, let's say you have it in the blood, um, and you, know, you can measure it so you can see if you're undetectable, low amounts, or really 10 times the upper limit of normal like your friend. There's an LDL molecule. There's a couple little, they're called sulfur bridges. Then there's another piece that's hanging on your LDL cholesterol, and that's called APO little a. That's the toxic add-on that genetics determines you get or you don't get. So you end up with this big molecule. You got LDL, which can attach to your arteries and enter your wall, your arteries to create complex plaques. But now you're bringing this whole other little piece called the rest of the lipoprotein little a molecule, which has some really bad actors. I won't go into names, but stuff's called oxidized uh, 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 oxidized PL phospholipids and such. The bottom line is it's an additional molecule in your blood. We've heard of elevated blood sugar being a risk factor, elevated blood pressure being a risk factor, elevated LDL cholesterol being a risk factor. Well, elevated lipoprotein little a is a risk factor for clogging arteries to the heart. It's not a risk factor. It causes clogging arteries are. It causes clogging arteries to the brain. It also causes one of the four heart valves called the aortic valve. This is unique amongst cholesterol problems mm -hmm. to actually get potentially scarred, calcified. So the numbers are that a little less than one out of every 10 people going for bypass surgery, the predominant abnormality that drove them to that degree of blockage 
is an elevated lipoprotein little a cholesterol. And this is even more so. One out of every seven patients that goes for open heart surgery on the aortic valve, a reasonably common procedure done several hundred thousand times in the United States alone, one out of every seven, it's predominantly due to this inherited cholesterol that most people haven't heard of, even though it was discovered in 1963. And every lab you can think of, LabCorp, Quest, they have offered this for well over 10 years and maybe for $30 in your blood test. But it's not yet been recommended as a routine add-on when your doctor does your cholesterol panel or when you're at a worksite wellness place and they're doing your cholesterol panel. It easily could be but it hasn't yet been recommended. Only in 2019, there's something called the European Society of Cardiology. They finally reached a point, they said, we have so many hundreds and hundreds of research papers that we know that this causes disease. We think everybody should probably have this blood test checked once because it doesn't matter if you're five years old, 15 years old, 35 years old. If you have it checked once and it's undetectable, you just didn't get it from your parents and you didn't inherit it. You never need to check it again. But if you were 28 years old and you found out because your dad had a heart attack at age 52 or your mom, God forbid, had a stroke at age you know, 48, that your blood level is 10 times higher than average, you need to take this piece of information and package it into a healthy lifestyle program as early in life as possible. An interesting thing about lipoprotein little a is it's inherited. It's believed by about age one or two. You either got an undetectable level or you've got a high level, of course, there's a range. So this little sucker is in your blood all through your you know, childhood, your teens, your early adulthood. Nobody's checking it. Most of us don't develop high blood pressure, high cholesterol, type 2 diabetes until our 30s, our 40s. So, you know, you show up at age 50 for your physical. Maybe you've had these abnormalities for a decade. But you've had lipoprotein A in your blood for 49 of the 50 years. It takes the first year to elevate. So it's cumulative and it's dangerous. Um, good news, not everybody with a high level like your friend gets a heart attack, has a stroke, gets blockage. Just like not everybody with high cholesterol gets a heart attack, gets a stroke. It can cause disease and it's a risk factor. But there's still a, still a variability. It's not inevitable that you're going to have a major cardiovascular problem. You know, this got most famous when Bob Harper from The Biggest Loser Show, you know, a handsome, a muscular guy, age 51 with um, his sidekick, I'm blanking on her name for a minute, um, but he was at the gym in February of 2017. I mean, it looks like the fittest human on the planet, and he had a cardiac arrest running the treadmill. He was very lucky. Next to him was a cardiologist running the treadmill. In front of him was the paddles, the defibrillator. They brought him back to life. They rushed him to a hospital. He was on a ventilator for a number of days. He had a massive heart attack. And when he finally recovered with a stent and presumably with some damage, I don't know every detail, he went on the Dr. Oz show and said, whoa, I'm two months out. I'm doing well. Thank you. But I found out I have a genetic cholesterol disorder. I never knew. Nobody checked it. Yeah, he had a sky-high elevated lipoprotein little a. And it brought a lot of attention. It brought a New York Times article and a lot of other press. So if it can happen to Bob Harper, it can happen to any of us. And it's certainly my recommendation to follow the European guidelines of everybody get checked once. Next time you go see family doctor, internist, gynecologist, say, hey, would you check that little box that you can do called lipoprotein little a, L-I-P-O protein, P-R-O-T-E-I-N, usually parentheses, and there's a lowercase a.
Yeah, that's funny. Uh, my friend said that when he had his heart attack, it was almost 20 years ago now, he said it was almost unheard of to, to check this. Um, true. When, when the blood true. works 20 years done. ago, there was data, but it wasn't being discussed. You know, you can take the cynic approach. So why doesn't everybody know about this? And why don't we all talk about it? And why don't we all get it checked? There is not consensus and there is no FDA approved drug that lowers lipoprotein A. We have FDA-approved drugs to lower LDL cholesterol. Those are called statins. Mm -hmm. Well, because there's no FDA-approved drug, there's nobody going into doctor's offices. There's nobody sponsoring medical meetings where doctors are going to hear about this and learn to check it. The irony in the cynic is there is a drug in development. We may be three to four years away from it being released. But all of a sudden, you're seeing a lot of talk all over the place because very soon there's going to be a financial arm that says the more doctors that know about lipoprotein little a, the more blood tests that are done, the more ultimately, appropriately, pharmaceutical agents will be used to treat it. Again, that's still a few years off. But I wouldn't wait because would you want to know that you have a heart silent killer? Maybe. It, you know, you can get through life. I'm not a Debbie Downer scary guy. But would you, would you be more motivated to eat better, exercise more, lose weight, sleep better, manage your stress, make sure the other numbers, blood pressure, cholesterol, blood sugar are optimal? Would you want to adopt a whole food plant diet with more you know, enthusiasm because you've got a little extra push there? And I would answer yes, 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 yes. Let's talk about some of the results that you, you might have seen uh, in some of your patients who have had the elevated levels and then adopted that whole food plant-based diet. How have their numbers changed? Yeah, well, our best data is a very nice study done by a cardiologist that many people may know the name Baxter Montgomery. He's a cardiologist oh, yeah. in Houston. And he published only a four-week study, but what happens to lipoprotein A if you adopt a oil-free, whole-food, plant-based diet after four weeks? And it did drop 15 to 20%. Now, for somebody with a modest elevation, that's great. For somebody 10 times higher than normal, that may not be a big move, but it's still a move. Plus, for all the other reasons, you want to adopt the whole-food, plant diet. That's why I put over 50 recipes of beautiful food into the, my book because, you know, you want to use a whole food plant-based diet to bring your LDL cholesterol down or bring your blood pressure down and bring your blood sugar down and bring your C-reactive protein inflammation markers down. So it's the right move either way. But um, the only widely available option to lower it, although it's not recommended by medical societies, is you can buy niacin in a vitamin shop. Niacin is a B vitamin. And it can be used. So I saw a gentleman last week, his, the normal lipoprotein A level is less than 75. His was 113, and now it's 22. He adopted a whole food plant diet. He is uh, taking niacin, which has been used for 50 or 60 years. But there's pros and cons, and you have to monitor people, and there's a flushing and all. But that's some of the results I see. Lipitor, Crestor, Zocor, the statins, don't lower it and actually sometimes raise it. But sometimes you need to do that because if your total cholesterol is 300 and it won't come down with lifestyle diet measures, you may need to bring it down with you know agents like those drugs. But they won't 
they won't lower the lipoprotein little a. What percentage of the population would you say really don't respond to diet and exercise changes in terms of elevated cholesterol? Who really just has drawn the short straw? It's interesting because I don't think we fully know why there's so much variability. You will see you know, the, the great example of cholesterol going from 250 to 150 eight weeks after adopting a well-constructed whole food plant diet. Uh, and you'll see somebody else who dropped 250 to 235, and they're trying just as hard. We do know there's differences, probably genetic-based. Your liver make more, may make more cholesterol than my liver. That's called hyperproducers. There's a way to sort of measure that. We know that there's a difference. Your GI tract may absorb more cholesterol from your bile than my GI tract absorbs. That's called a hyperabsorber. Now, the good news is fiber. We all love fiber. We eat our plants, our crunchy fruits and vegetables, the beans to get fiber. Fiber does prevent that absorption of cholesterol. You know, again, if you're eating plants, you're not eating cholesterol, but your liver is still making it. Your bile is still rich in cholesterol. So the more fiber you have in your diet, the more you'll trap cholesterol in your intestines without it being absorbed. So that will take care of that hyperabsorber person. But why there's differences, hyperproduction, um, is probably on a genetic basis. And that's where some people need prescription drugs to interrupt. There are also natural supplements that work the same way, but um, there is variability. I feel badly for the person who is really working hard on their diet and their cholesterol only budges a bit. And you can ask them all the questions, how much oil, how much sugar, how much salt, you know, give me a really accurate diary. And some of them are just spot on. They're doing the whole no SOS diet and it only moves a little because there are genetic influences on production of both lipoprotein little a and standard cholesterol, LDL cholesterol. Nonetheless, though, it is your recommendation that the best course of action right now is to adopt that whole food plant-based diet, correct? Absolutely. You know, people may have heard, maybe not, uh, David Jenkins, MD, a very respected researcher at University of Toronto, plant-based since he was eight years old. He's now in his 80s. He designed a diet called the portfolio diet. Anybody can look that up. And he created a diet to lower cholesterol using plant-based foods. Not even the whole diet, just these plant-based foods. When you add in soy foods like edamame or tempeh, when you add in a few almonds a day, when you add in oats, which are very rich in called beta-glucan to lower cholesterol, and plant sterols, things like in sesame seeds, you can lower your cholesterol quite nicely, you know, no matter what your diet is. Now, if you add those to a already great plant-based diet, you'll lower it even more. But absolutely would recommend, you know, for all the data and all the reasons in the world, a whole food plant diet in somebody that has challenges with standard cholesterol, triglycerides, or this genetic lipoprotein little a. All right, man. Well, let's dive into the fun part. You got a bunch of recipes in here. What are some of your favorites? Oh, there we go. Well, I had to bring in, you can see how beautiful the cover is with a beautiful recipe. I brought in a really great plant-based uh, recipe maker, Beverly Bennett. I had already written a previous book called Vegan Sex with her <laughs> and uh, Ellen Jeffy Jones. And I was so impressed with uh, Beverly's recipes. So I'm not going to take credit for them. The ones I've made, I've made the corn, quinoa, and kidney bean chili. Oh, my God, is that delicious and easy and colorful. Um, last week, I made Mediterranean pasta salad um, with some kidney beans again. I just love, like all of us, I just love beans. 
uh, in my uh, diet. And then, yeah, I did the uh, beans and rice burrito a couple days ago. Again, we all got a little more time at home as long as you got the ingredients. Uh, but I have not had time. The book only came out a week ago. So I have not had time to go through the over 50 other recipes. And uh, banana zucchini nut bread, I did do that one. Oh, that sounds uh, that amazing. Yeah, that was excellent. But you know, there was a real emphasis here of healing recipes because it's a heart book. And so these are oil-free. These are natural. These are whole food plant recipes, exclusively plant recipes. And uh, the beauty of the publisher, I mean, they're just – the photography is also excellent. So it's a nicely done, you know, it's a thin, inexpensive book. Um, but I think everybody will learn a little bit and get motivated to eat a little better, live a little healthier, and maybe check this unique, you know, cholesterol measurement, lipoprotein little a, that 1.8 billion people, some of us ought to know what our level is. I have a practice full of you know, world record high levels, which I'm not happy about. And I look forward to getting new pharmaceutical agents that have proven safety and proven effectiveness. But um, it's always going to be better to couple anything you do with a healthy lifestyle and a great plant diet. No question about it. Uh, final thoughts here before we wrap this up on uh, lipoprotein A or COVID? You know, all we have is the power to control our own lifestyle, and our lifestyle includes our thoughts. And I'm surrounding myself with as much positive as possible, positive foods, positive sleep, positive fitness, a lot of healing music. I love healing, quiet music in the background because CNN and Fox and MSNBC are not exactly healing and quiet right now. So, you know, I'm creating little spaces of uh, safety and calm uh, at a time that's tough. And I, I do believe we know that music influences your immune system. And we know that meditation influences your immune system. Yoga influences your immune system. And we've talked about healthy whole foods, maybe with a little more emphasis on onions and garlic and ginger <laughs> and mushrooms and turmeric, but uh, and the broccoli family. So uh, I'm G-bombing it up. And uh, there's another little acronym that's um, ginger, garlic, onion, and a broccoli family that's uh, sulfur-rich kind of healthy foods. I concentrate on those, too. Well, that'll help you keep your social distance anyway. You eat all that good stuff. I think wear that clove of garlic proudly around your mouth. <laughs> a COVID garlic. Oh, man, that's fantastic. And I like the way that you're tuning out the noise on a bipartisan level. You are to be commended for that as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, you're doing a great job yourself, so you get uh, – Two thumbs up, but from distance with my Purell. You're, <laughs> you're, you're a good man. I think what we're at, what, a thousand miles apart, so we've got that six feet covered and then some. We're okay. All right, man. He is the author of Lipoprotein, the heart's quiet killer, a diet and lifestyle guide chock full of not just good information, but amazing recipes as well. Dr. Joel Kahn, thanks so very much for your time, my friend. Thank you. You're doing a good job, sir. We've posted a link to Dr. Khan's book in the episode notes below, and it's always good to catch up with him. Think back to what it was that he said. He said, no matter what, genetics and all, he still recommends eating a plant-based diet because that is one of the best, if not the best things that you can do for your heart. 
Let's turn our attention now to a little bit of inspiration. We could all use that, right? Cindy Thompson is a former firefighter who lost 60 pounds after adopting a plant-based diet. But weight loss wasn't even her motivation. After watching family members die of cancer and learning of the extreme risk that firefighters have of developing cancer during their own life, Cindy vowed that would not be her path. So she changed her eating habits, and she was expecting herself to become healthier. But what she wasn't expecting was how her entire firehouse rallied around her, and they also began to eat a vegan diet. Cindy is now a Food for Life instructor with the Physicians Committee, and she is here to talk about her incredible journey and her new series of classes that she is teaching during this pandemic. And these classes hopefully won't just keep you healthy for this length of uncertainty, but also for the rest of your life when COVID-19 has become a thing of the past. This is the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. And oh my goodness gracious, if I'm not joined by another weight loss success on this segment, so excited to be speaking with Cindy Thompson from Trimazing. Cindy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I see that you are literally in the kitchen wearing your food for life apron. How are, <laughs> how, how are things going for you right now? Oh, fantastic. It's just been great. I just got trained uh, with Food for Life in February at the Los Angeles class, and I was all ready to get started and doing my in-person classes when literally when the plane touched down, everything closed behind me and wasn't able to teach the classes. Um, but I'm really excited that I'm able to now get this on the online platform uh, to reach out to people and get started. Yeah. And where are you based out of? I'm out of Seattle. I'm in the Snoqualmie Valley, which is on the east side of Seattle. Okay. Well, so here's the good news. Now you're able to teach these classes online. You can reach a much broader audience. Absolutely. That's really exciting. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about those classes here in just a little bit. But I think that really what I wanted to bring you on the show to talk about primarily was this is a, a personal journey for you. Um, this mm -hmm. is a journey to health that you can really identify with the people who are taking your classes because you've been in their shoes. Tell me the Cindy Thompson story. Walk me through it from your childhood to where we are now, you know, yeah. I, because it's incredible. I know that you, you've been a firefighter, you changed your life, and now you're doing this plant-based teaching thing. Like, it's a whole journey. I love journeys. Yeah. Let's talk. <laughs> Wonderful. Well... I grew up in Southwest Washington with a normal family with the normal standard American diet. Uh, we were not vegan or vegetarian. Um, we, we grew up with a farm in our family and dairy farmers. So I mean, it was just not even anything we conceived of changing our diet. Um, I was a normal kid. And uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a firefighter when I grew up and um, that was my goal. I was involved with music. I just, just a normal kid. Was there a lot of milk and cheese if you were growing up on a dare farm? Cheese was my favorite food. Absolutely my favorite food. In fact, I would tell people that I was addicted to cheese and I didn't know then 
So if there was something that I didn't like as a kid, if we my family put cheese on it, I would eat it. So I didn't like <laughs> eggs. They put cheese on it. I would eat it. I didn't like eggplant at the time. They put cheese on it. I would eat it. So that was just a, the big part of my life. So spin forward, um, became a firefighter. I worked down on the outside of Portland, a department right on the outside of Portland, Oregon. And um, I, as an adult, was really struggling with my weight. And so I would just, I would get on every diet to lose weight. I would lose the weight, change back to how I was eating with a standard American diet and the weight would come on and then some. Mm -hmm. And then I would have to find another diet and try that one and lose the weight. And it was important because as a firefighter, it was critical that I was in shape and I was fit. And when I would gain the weight, it was uncomfortable. It was hard to do my job. And it was embarrassing because I always worried that people were looking at me and saying, wow, she's really out of shape. And so it, I just yo-yo dieted my whole adult life. And did you feel extra pressure there too, not just because of your weight, but maybe because you were a woman in the department that's so macho driven, like you felt like you needed to keep up as well? Yeah, I, I was one of the first women hired in my department. There were six of us all hired at once in a hundred person department. And so, yeah, I always felt like I had to work harder and um, outperform and just be ready to go and never make mistakes um, to prove myself. So, yeah, my weight made me feel like I was really under the spotlight. So let me ask you this. What what was it that, you know, when you realized like uh, your weight was kind of a, a an issue and, and the pounds kept coming back on, like what would drive you to not make changes right away. I know what it was for me when I was 420 pounds. There's like a myriad of things. You talk about food addiction and cheese specifically. That was a big part of it. Was that really the underlying issue for you as well? Well, for me, I just had resigned myself that I was a big girl. I just, I knew it was such a struggle for me. I couldn't keep the weight off. And I thought, well, maybe that's just how I am. My, my mom struggled with this as well. Uh, she would be on diets and lose weight and then gain it back. And uh, I just thought, well, I guess that's just how I am. That's how my mom is. And then I would tell stories to myself of, you know, it's okay because now I'm just weighing as much as the guys do and they need that weight to hold the fire hose down. That's the, tor the story I told myself. I need to have this extra weight, um, but I didn't feel great. Mm. So it wasn't until 10 years ago um, when I changed my diet. And the impetus was not my weight. My impetus was that my dad died from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he had had, this was his second bout of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, first time it was in his heart and then it came back in his brain and he died from that. And shortly after, the Oregon State Legislature passed a presumptive cancer law for firefighters that basically said that if you were a professional firefighter in the state of Oregon and you were diagnosed with one of 12 cancers, it was presumed that it was job related and that you could be covered for on the job illness benefits. And I looked at the list and on that was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And, but there were two others that were really concerning and scary to me which were two other blood cancers. One was multiple myeloma and one was leukemia, which my dad's mom had died from. 
all of a sudden I was scared to death that I was going to get cancer. I didn't know if uh, cancer was hereditary, um, but now my state was telling me that they pretty much presumed that I was going to get diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And I didn't want to do that. I saw my dad die from that. And I went on calls as a paramedic and dealt with people that were suffering from cancer. And I was determined to figure out what I needed to do to not die from cancer. So I was in graduate school and uh, that gave me access to the medical school library. So while I was studying for my thesis, I would go to the library and look up everything I could to figure out what I needed to do to prevent getting cancer. And what I found was eating a low fat vegan diet, eliminating animal proteins was the best thing that I could do to keep myself from getting cancer. And I thought, what have I got to lose? What have I got to lose? I, I'm going to do this. So that part was easy. Uh, the, the how am I going to fit this with my life was a little more difficult because I was working at the fire station. Right. So uh, in fire stations, it's, you, it's a big team and everything is team. Uh, we have family-based meals. We all take turns cooking. So every shift, somebody rotates through the cooking rotation. Um, I was a really good firehouse cook and had a lot of things that people would ask for for me to make, you know, that were all animal-based, heavy protein, high in fat, just things that were really yummy because <laughs> you wanted the, your crew to love what you ate. Uh, the worst thing to do is, is have something that nobody likes. And so there was always a lot of pressure to have really family favorite kind of food for the fire station. And you would be serving between three and 12 people. You know, so it was, it was high pressure. So, uh, you know, we ate lots of, of stuff uh, grilled on the barbecue. We ate lots of steaks and meat. And a lot of the guys really enjoyed being at the station because they could eat things that their wives wouldn't make them. You know, <laughs> they could have ribs. <laughs> and so, I mean, it was, it was kind of a macho food environment. So uh, I was worried about how I was going to incorporate this. So I came to the station and I, I brought my crew together and sat them down and said, listen, I want to talk to you about something. I'm going to be changing how I'm eating. And I want you to understand what, what it is, why I'm doing it and, and how I, it's not going to affect you. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I said, I am done a bunch of research. As you know, my dad passed away from cancer and we have this presumptive cancer law. And I have risk factors for three of those 12 cancers, for sure, if it's hereditary. I said, I did a bunch of research and found that if I eliminate animal protein and eat a vegan diet, I, I cut my risk huge for getting cancer. And so I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I've already started the last couple of days off shift, and I'm, I'm doing this. And, and I said, and so here's what it means. It means I'm not going to eat dairy or cheese or meat. Uh, fish or seafood, uh, butter, none of that. I'm going to eat fruits, vegetables, grains, beans, legumes, and nuts. And it's my journey. So that's how I'm going to eat. When it's my turn to cook, I'm going to make things that are plant-based. And you have a choice. You can eat it as a side dish and make something to go with it, or you can eat what I make 
doesn't bother me. And when it's your turn to cook, if you would make a huge salad like we always do, we always had a giant bowl of salad uh, whenever we had a meal. I said, just don't put cheese in it. And then then I'm eating with you because I don't want to be the odd person out and not eat with you guys. I don't want you to feel like I, I don't like what you're eating. This this is my personal journey. And so they they were cool with that. They had a lot of questions but, and they were interested in it. Um, but nobody said, oh, well, I'm going to do that, too. Um, so that's how we went. Um, while I said you could make something to go with it, that's people generally aren't going to want to do that. They just want dinner to be served to them. And somebody would say, well, I want to make something that you can have, too. So how can I make this so that it's plant based? So we would talk about it and they would make something that was plant based. And it was going great. And one of the guys on my cruise said, you know, that's all well and good, Cindy, but don't you ever miss a hamburger milkshake and fry meal? And I said, well, no, because I can have that anytime I want. I I can do a plant-based burger and I can do fries and I can bake them in the oven and they're crispy and I can do a milkshake just fine. So another guy who's like the most senior guy in the whole department sitting there with his arms crossed And all of a sudden he says, I'll tell you what, if you can make me a hamburger milkshake and fry meal that's vegan and I like it, I'll go vegan. Yo. I just couldn't believe he said that. I'm like, game on. Yeah, let's let's go to the grocery store right now. (laughs) And so like a couple other guys were like, since the senior guy said that, they're like, yeah, we'll do that too. If if we all like it, we'll all go vegan. Well, at this point, I had been vegan for about a month or so, and I had started to lose weight, and everybody could see that I was getting healthy and and doing well, and my food was great. So, I mean, that really helped in my favor. So we went to the grocery store, and we came back, and we made portobello mushroom burgers with baked sweet potato fries and a, a strawberry smoothie, and they loved it, and they all went vegan, my whole crew. Bravo. Which was beyond my wildest dreams. So it turned into a huge crew project, and they all lost weight. Their cholesterol fell. Their, um, all of their blood work improved. Their energy increased, and it was fabulous. So in the span of a year, I lost 60 pounds. That wasn't my goal. My goal was to keep myself from getting cancer, but eating this way, I started losing weight, and it was effortless, and it stayed off, and I didn't feel deprived. So um, the funny thing was, is everybody told me at first, including my crew, you're never going to be able to do this because you're addicted to cheese. You already have always said that. In fact, they would know that if I couldn't sleep, like if we got calls in the middle of the night, I would go to the refrigerator and get my stash of cheese and I would cut myself a slice and I would take it and I would eat it. And there were times when I would wake up in the morning with a stale piece of cheese with one bite out of it on my pillow, like a junkie with a needle in their arm. I mean, Mm. that's all I needed to get to sleep was that piece of cheese. Um, I was known for having nachos without the chips, which is grating cheese, putting it on a plate, throw it in the microwave and eating it with a fork. Cheese was a big deal. So during this journey, this year long journey, um, I started obviously losing weight and that affected the clothing that I had to wear at the fire department. So I had, you know, we wore uniforms and then we had our firefighter turnouts. 
and my uniforms would get too big. And for most people, that's like so exciting. Yay, my, 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 I'm in smaller pants. I'm in smaller shirts. So, but I had to go and go to our uh, equipment and clothing person and say, I need some smaller uniform pants and I need some smaller turnouts. Well, the uniform pants, that, that's, no, that's fine. That was, those are no big deal. But turnouts are a big deal. Turnouts are $1,500 a set. Those are the big like oven mitt clothing that we wear to go into the fire. Yeah. They're really expensive and you need them to fit right. And we don't generally have lots of extras on hand, especially women's sizes. So um, we would have to order them for me. And so finally, I was going in for my third smaller size of turnouts in a year. And uh, the chief came up and said, listen, we're so excited for you. We know you're healthy and you're doing great. Um, but we would like to know how much more weight you're planning on losing because we need to change our budget (laughs) 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 so that we can uh, keep getting turnouts for you as you go on this journey. Um, So everybody was paying attention and um, it it was very obvious that it was really working for me. Um, And, and so not only my crew was watching how they were eating now and asking questions about plant-based, but other firefighters were, which was awesome. So let me let me jump in here and ask you a question mm-hmm. real quick. So you were you said at the top that one of the things that you kind of used to justify uh, being larger was that you needed to be big and strong like the guy. So as you're losing all of this weight, did it ever enter into your mind that I may not be as strong anymore? Or did you even feel like you lost any muscle tone and strength? So I got stronger. I literally got stronger. I w- and I also had all this energy. So I would now go and work out with the guys in the, the firehouse gym. That was not, I wasn't embarrassed anymore to be in there. I could run, I could lift, um, and was way stronger than I was before. Um, I didn't have any problem handling large hose lines anymore. Um, in fact, I was more nimble because I wasn't carrying all that extra weight. You know, when you put on your firefighter gear, you're putting on extra 70 pounds of equipment. So if you're already overweight and carrying extra weight, now you're putting on the turnout clothing and the bottle for the air and all the equipment that goes with it. You're adding another 70 pounds on top of it. So I lost 60 pounds, which made my equipment seem like it was nothing. My goodness. So it made a huge difference. So I was able to... Uh, perform better on the fire ground and in house fires and and etc much better than I was before I wasn't out of breath I wasn't overheating it was it was terrific in fact I had so much energy that I started running on my off days and running was not a thing that I did Uh, a friend of mine asked me to do an adventure race one day and it was a combination of running and mountain biking and it was a ball we had so much fun with it, and I got done, and I thought, you know, I've just done two-thirds of a triathlon. If I only knew how to swim in a race, I bet I could do a triathlon. So I joined a triathlon club and started doing triathlons. Um, started with the triathlon that's really small and short, and I now do Ironman triathlons. Um, it, it just totally changed my life. So that's where the name of my business, Trimazing, comes from. And it's from the word tri- triathlon is amazing into trimazing, 
which if you look it up in the Urban Dictionary, actually means three times better than amazing. And that's how I feel. It completely transformed my life. I feel three times better than amazing. I, I went from waking up in the morning and aching everywhere in my shoulders and my hips and my knees to now waking up with energy. And, and now 10 years later, spin forward, I'm still with all that energy and I don't feel like I've been on a diet. I just eat and I'm healthy and uh, I feel vivacious and young. I'm retired and uh, I, I'm able to do a second career, which is uh, health and lifestyle coaching. <laughs> I, I love that. I feel vivacious. I'm young. I'm retired. <laughs> Not exactly words that often go together. That's fantastic. I know. Um, so one of the things that really appeals to me about the plant-based diet, and I tell this to everybody who listens, is that for the first time after I lost the weight, I never feared putting it back on. Is it the same thing for you? Like, finally, no more yo-yo dieting. Yeah. it's Food is not taking up a bunch of bandwidth in my brain. It's like I don't have to worry about, oh, my gosh, I can't eat sugar or I can't have cake or I can't. I have to eat all vegetables this week because I have to lose all this weight or I have to run 15 miles today so that I can burn all the calories off of what I ate. I don't feel like that. I just, I eat and I'm satisfied. The food's great. I can still have pizza and bread and cake and lasagna and all of that and not have to worry about it. I'm not tracking my calories and worrying about that I had too many calories today. I'm not worried that about my protein levels and everything is, is easier. So when did you decide that you wanted to expand your reach beyond just the firehouse and really touch other people and help them have their own journeys? Well, part of my duties at the fire station after I lost all this weight, uh, my department actually sent me off to uh, be involved with a brand new national program in the fire service at that time. Uh, which was the Firefighter Wellness and Fitness Program. And it was a joint program between National Fire Chiefs and National Firefighters Union to come up with a plan to help firefighters be healthier and, and um, more fit. Because as a national fire service, we were struggling with heart disease and cancer and uh, uh, weight problems. So they were trying to figure out what can we do to help the fire service get back on track. So they sent me off. I became uh, part of that training. I became a uh, wellness fitness trainer, and I ran the wellness and fitness program for my fire department. And that was great. Uh, you know, it wasn't a plant-based focus, um, but it did have a lot of focus on nutrition, and I was able to talk about adding more uh, fruits and vegetables and adding more of a plant-based diet to how they were eating and um, to work with people. And what's surprising to people, I think, outside of the fire service, is most people believe that line of duty death for firefighters comes from fighting a fire or maybe getting in an accident in a speeding vehicle on the way to the fire. But the reality is that the number one cause of line of duty death for firefighters is cardiovascular disease. It's heart attacks and strokes when you come back to the fire station after a call. That's the number one killer of firefighters. Um, now it's, it, there's a little more with um, suicide, unfortunately, 
Um, but those three things are all the number one killers of firefighters, not burning buildings. Right. So, so there was a lot of focus on preventing that. And um, so when I retired, uh, and I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up anymore, <laughs> I thought, you know, I, I did this with the firefighters. I did this at the fire station. I, I would really like to help other people, the people that I would see when I would go on calls, the people that were suffering from diabetes, the people that were struggling with congestive heart failure, the people that couldn't leave their homes because of their illness or were severely restricted. And then I could see on the coffee table in front of them or in the kitchen what they were eating and know in my heart that was a way to change that. Mm. And, you know, it's sad to walk in and have to deal with an emergent situation that you could solve with food and prevent that or reverse that. So that's what I decided to do is after retirement is to help as many people as I could. And now you're able to do that with the Food for Life program. You're a certified instructor since February. So talk to me a little bit. I know that you have uh, online classes coming up starting this week, as a matter of this fact. This week, so yes. If somebody signs up at TryMazing, and we're going to put the link in the episode notes for you, just click right on it to, to register. What are these classes all about? What are you teaching? Yes. So this month I have two of the 21-day vegan kickstart classes starting. Uh, one starts on Thursday, this Thursday night. It's on Zoom online. Uh, it's four sessions starting May 7th. Um, and it's uh, associated with uh, the studio in Carnation, Washington, which is my venue. Um, so that will run you through uh, Dr. Barnard's 21-Day Vegan Kickstart, which is an awesome program. Uh, and then I also, on Tuesday evening, starting May 19th, also on Zoom, is a second uh, 21 vegan kickstart program. And that's associated with Posados Safe Haven, which is an amazing animal rescue and animal sanctuary in Sultan, Washington. They're big on, um, they do investigations for animal cruelty, uh, rescue, education, and outreach. So they're great. Um, so those are the two classes that I have this month. And then next month, I'm teaming up with another Food for Life instructor, Nancy Travis, who's in Bainbridge Island, Washington, who was in my training with me. And we are going to be doing two of the uh, Cooking with COVID-19 series. So the first one is with uh, the Orcas Veg Fest, which is Orcas Island, and one of the San Juan Islands between here and Vancouver Island, BC. Um, they were supposed to have a Veg Fest this month, but because of COVID, it got canceled. So we're really excited to offer this program with them. Uh, that will be the, a four-class series on how to boost your immune system, um, how to lower your risk factors from heart disease, diabetes, and uh, weight to really bolster up your immune system uh, uh, so against COVID and all types of illness. Um, so that's the first one. Those will be Wednesday evenings on Zoom at 6 o'clock starting uh, June 3rd, uh, and then it's once a week. And then... Um, the second one is called Cooking to Survive COVID-19, Immune-Boosting Foods, and that's with the, the Barn, which is the Bainbridge Artist uh, Resource Network. Um, those will be on Sunday afternoons. So 
if uh, the weekdays aren't working for you, this one might be great. It's Sunday afternoons from 3 to 5. Um, so both of these will be in June. That one starts May 31st and runs through June, and it's also a four-series class. So those are the classes we have so far, and we're planning on doing some more uh, through through June, July, and August as well. And I know you've got plenty of energy to do more because you're young, you're vivacious, and you're retired. So you <laughs> yes. have all the time to do these things. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, uh, you know, from one weight loss success to another, I just, I could not be more happy for you. You seem to be doing so well and you look so happy. And the fact that you're paying this forward to so many other people is just fantastic. So it has really been just a real joy to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. It's just been a thrill to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm just so excited to be on the show with you. And I really love being a Food for Life instructor. It's just been a great experience. Again, we have put a link to all of Cindy's classes in the episode notes. And also there, you can find a list of all of the Food for Life instructors teaching the Cooking to Combat COVID-19 classes. Or you can just hop on fflclasses.org to find an instructor in your area. Cindy's the best, isn't she? A trailblazer, firefighter, and now a Food for Life instructor. Try amazing indeed. Kudos to you, Cindy. Speaking of the best, we've got a huge show coming your way on Thursday when Dr. Michael Greger joins me here on The Exam Room. He's going to be talking about his new book, How to Survive a Pandemic. And he'll also be doing the interview while walking on his treadmill. The man certainly practices what it is that he preaches. There is no doubt about that. And also on the show, we're going to be opening up the doctor's mailbag. Dr. Neil Barnard will be here to answer your questions. So send them in to us right now. And the easiest way that you can do that is to send your question on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC, or you can go to my page on Facebook, hit the like button and send your question there. Also, you can find the Physicians Committee on Twitter at PCRM and on Instagram at Physicians Committee. Just be sure that when you send in those questions, you use the hashtag exam room podcast. And please also head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever shows are available, and hit the subscribe button there and leave a five-star rating. Because not only will you begin to receive each new episode automatically, but you'll also be helping to get this information to someone who really, truly needs it. Because the more subscriptions and good reviews we receive, the higher we climb in podcast rankings. And the higher we climb, the easier it is for someone to find this potentially life-saving information. So I want to thank you in advance for helping do your part. And for right now, it's going to wrap things up for us. My thanks again to Dr. Joel Kahn and Cindy Thompson for their time on the show today. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe and keep it plant-based. <laughs>